Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. a better SD card, but it did, uh, it did record, even though I'm getting a right error. SD actually stands for super dense. Super dense. Yes, it was originally a format for a new CD-ROM. Essentially, the, you know, CD works by uh, pits and uh, landings of uh, little divots that you bounce a laser off of, and that difference between how the laser bounces is recorded as information. And SD was originally invented as a way of putting more of those little divots into a smaller place, thus super dense, to store more information. They gave up on that concept and instead uh, made the micro SD card, but kept the name. Okay, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Suck dick. Suck dick. Card. Super dense. Super um, dense, suck dick. Welcome to Pinker Commie Sluts, guys. We're here. Um, Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, Shana Tova. On 9-11 and... Uh, <laughs> In Shahala. Some part of Rosh Hashanah. It's, it's definitely on like the 10 holy days... I guess it's Shabbos, so there's that, uh, just after Rosh Hashanah. So, yeah, I'm sure this is holy to the Jews. All right. A holy day. Happy 9-11, everyone. Uh, 20 years since that Nickelback album 20 years. Now it's uh, long enough i got to change my 9-11 joke eventually. Uh What's your 9-11 joke? So my 9-11 joke is that sometimes, like, really young guys will hit on me Mm. and... A 21-year-old hit on me, and I was just like, but where were you on 9-11? Preschool? And, like, you know, how can you never forget if you barely remember? But now, are going to soon be not born uh, on 9-11. Where were you 9-11 maintains itself as a way of checking someone's age? Yes, that is it. In the uterus. I'm just saying uh, in a not too long, me saying that it was a 21-year-old. It will not make sense anymore. There, there was this dude on Twitter who I uh, followed before I got banned the last time. And he, he was talking about how he always hits on older guys and he's afraid of them asking him where he was on 9-11 because he was not, in fact, born at the time. Mm. Yes. So it's that, you know. The answer uh, is wildly overcompensate and heavily imply you were in the towers. 
<laughs> yeah, like uh, Steve was, Run is easy. I was uh, running. Yeah, you know, I was like, you know, I was at the, the I was at the nine eleven. Uh, do you know that was, story? The guy from the league who oh, for yeah, yeah, for yeah. like for a really long time maintained it, and then eventually came clean. And it was like he went on Mark Marin and reiterated this made up story. But then at the same time, some part of me sympathized with you tell a bullshit story once and it goes great. <laughs> You know? Yeah, no, it's, it's... And you don't think it's got legs, but it does. But the person does. at the party yeah. remembered it. And, like, yeah. that, it kind of seemed like guy. that... Then yeah. You, you the guy. I mean, it is, and to reference another great work of 9-11, the Seinfeld spec script, it is a very George Costanza thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just take something, you double down on it when you're, you're found out. It, it makes people happy. When you tell the story, mm-hmm. so yeah. really you're really, doing. Really, and I mean, what's what's anything? So, you know, what's anything but a series of stories, right? So where and, were you uh, on 9/11? Okay, the Harbor Moss, I think. I don't know. I was. Uh, I was between. 29 and 30, running down the towers. <laughs> <laughs> I had just I gotten sad. out of the plane. I was in the plane. I got out of the plane. Mm-hmm. Then I ran down. I actually, I went through the front door, but then remembered there were other people inside. So I turned around. I went back in. Uh-huh. Oh, there's some joke in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were alerted beforehand. Anyway, where was Mark Wahlberg not on 9-11? He could have stopped it. Uh, <laughs> Look, things uh, would have gone differently. Yeah. But then Wahlbergers wouldn't have Happen. existed. Yeah, mm-hmm. No, it would have existed. And, and one of them wouldn't have, been, have married would, Je- Jenny McCarthy. It would have been in, and, the, in the honor of dead Mark Wahlberg. No, mm-hmm. he would have been alive. That's the point. What? What is the story? Oh, oh Mark Wahlberg like thinks that to beat up a yeah, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. This is actually he actually this is, a compound is well bit, documented. He really does think he said on more than one occasion that if he would have been on one of the planes, mm. he would have been able to stop it. And then he even had like a close call or something. His most conservative statement on the subject is things would have gone differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, yeah, no. He, yeah, he we would have 100... also not had to deal with Mark Wahlberg anymore. <laughs> no, we would No, okay, if Mark Wahlberg single-handedly unhijacked one of those planes, we would only be dealing with Mark Wahlberg. I know. We would have only gotten one of them. There were... Three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, getting a. Did I ever tell you about? Oh, this is a good time to talk about my 9-11 pilot. Wait, literal pilot? Like, uh, no, show pilot. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It's that there. Calling the first episode (laughs) 9-11 pilot would be a really (laughs) good. Yeah, that's great. Precisely. So uh, mine is a uh, show about a guy who you meet this guy. He's just a guy. Lives in Chicago, does improv, and then uh, through a series of flashbacks throughout the pilot episode, you discover he was another 9-11 terrorist, but instead of going through with it, he just flew to Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I like that a lot. That's real. Yeah, I like And now his life is a series of, you know, struggles to maintain this life that he's built for himself. 
That's, yeah, I love it. So, That's so good. Uh, I have several scenarios that I wrote for the pilot of why he doesn't, like, what inspires him, whether it's that, you know, he meets a lady, you know, she's so charming, he, he tries alcohol for the first time, and he just kind of... On the plane? Yeah, so just kind of <laughs> passes out, and then he, and he wakes up in Chicago, and everyone's freaking out, because 9-11 just happened. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to go, oh, my God. Oh, crazy. <laughs> like, Who would have seen that coming? <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I really do want to send it into a contest um, just because I think it would be fun to yeah. know someone had so to read I guess it. There should be an annual contest of 9-11 related comedic spec scripts. Mm-hmm. Because so. I, I do have my uh, Forrest Gump 2 idea, mm-hmm. and it's not related to the planned Forrest Gump 2 that I, I am perfectly well aware of. They planned to do it, didn't work out, blah, blah, blah. It's a, like, 30 years soft reboot style sequel where it's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to... Like The Force Awakens? Yeah, it's going to be The Forrest Force Gump. Awakens. The yeah, Forest or- Awakens. The Forest Awakens, the um, <laughs> the, forest the Apollo Rocky movie one, whatever, it doesn't matter. Despite uh, being smart, uh, Haley Joel Osment takes like a fucking break to the head at some point and gets all Forrest Gumpy. So in the in your in this like it's about a reboot. Haley this, Joel Osment, you know, well Haley Joel Osment is a grown man, right? So now. is Forrest Gump. Is it a just retelling of Forrest Gump? It's a reboot. It's a soft reboot. So, so yeah, it, so it he's... takes place in universe. It is technically chronologically a sequel, but it is effectively all the beats of the original Forrest Gump with the references updated. But this person knows of the original Forrest Gump. I mean, yeah, okay, we could play around. I'm flexible. Forrest... I I was thinking he didn't. I was thinking this was a full reboot. We're Gump... hitting the beats. We're just doing it in a new way where he's. Made dumb by a brick. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I was saying, well, no, because the obvious would be to have Forrest Gump's son, but that would be Haley Joel Osment from the first one, who Jenny. Was the son even played by Haley Joel Osment? Yes. Was he? Yes. Look it up. I remember hmm. because my friend from high school went to. NYU in 2006 and was roommates his freshman year with Haley Joel Osment and me and my friend also from high school were went to college together and we were watching TV one night and we turned on TBS and they were playing Forrest Gump so we called him to let him know that his roommate was on TV. Oh, you're right. I didn't yes. remember that. I was saying Forrest Gump's son, Haley Joel Osment, who con- So this is what I'm even more confused about then. Pull one thread, the whole sweater just unravels. Life is like a box of chocolates, one could say. But anyway. Why'd you destroy my sweater? The, the point is, the obvious would be Forrest's son would be the new Forrest Gump. But canonically, according to Jenny, he is in fact smart. 
So we'd have to deal ah, with that. Ah, he's smart, Forrest. But is it, does he have to be dumb to be Forrest? Or does he just well, have to have was, dumb I luck? Th- actually, the real You know, in the book, this, he's real fat, right? Yes, and he has a huge dick. That's true. But um, the real way to do this would be to make Forrest Gump 2, the new Forrest Gump, would be like a goodwill hunting levels of, of genius. And that would be the twist. The twist. So, so we're getting like M. Night Shyamalan involved. Yeah, like, well, no, more like Goodwill Hunting. But anyway, the point is how I'm going to tie all this back to our original thing is it would essentially be the same beats of Forrest Gump, but updated like plus 30 years. So it would take place in the late 90s, early 2000s. And in that case, I want my new Forrest Gump to go, hey, mister, you dropped your boarding pass. And the guy would go, oh, thank you. And you would show him handing a boarding pass with the name Muhammad Atta um, to a person who takes it and then, like, runs over to his plane uh, is what I want my new, a scene for my new Forrest Gump. The real question is, A, does Tom Hanks reprise his role? Wait, does he die in the first one? No, he doesn't die, and yeah, he would be elderly. The, the, Greek, and- the Greek retired queen known as Tom Hanks comes back for part two. You can just say Greek. <laughs> <laughs> But no, he, he would. He chose to be Greek. <laughs> he uh, would be. He would be elderly, but we would do his makeup so he would look like '90s Tom Hanks in old man makeup. So we'd first de-age him and then give him old man makeup. All right. Oh, spe- okay. This might be and not so, resonate at there. all. But are either of you aware of the Broadway show Dear Evan Hansen? I, Speaking I, of post. 9-11. Yeah, I have seen trailers Whatever. for the The film. movie is coming out already. It's like, how are they going to make a... Broadway a... show. So, so I'm so I sorry did. to interject with this, That's but fine. it's semi-related uh, to the themes we're talking about. So, Dear Evan Hansen is a first off-Broadway, then Broadway show that first goes up in 2006. So, in a post-9-11 world... And depending on how you feel about the show itself, it's either a complicated look at a very flawed but sad, vulnerable main character, or it's a like crazy cynical thing where someone does a bad thing and there's no comeuppance. (laughs) So essentially this plot of Dear Evan Hansen is... A kid in high school is, he's really socially anxious. He doesn't have a lot of friends, blah, blah, blah. A classmate of his, Evan Hansen, commits suicide. And through a initial misunderstanding, Evan's family comes to believe that this character was secretly really good friends with their now dead son. And at first he sort of goes along, but then he like, wholeheartedly pretends they had this very deep um, friendship and he uses it to sort of become close to Evan's sister, who uh, Evan was like very cruel to and spins this whole story about how he actually wanted to be a really good brother to you and blah, blah. So it's like, it's the kind of thing where you're like, actually, uh, 
if we don't just listen to the songs here, this is not great what he does. Um, it does, it's not, it, it does eventually like come out, uh, but it's like he's like forgiven in a way that uh, a lot of critics of the show itself are like, whatever, it's bad. Uh, there was some hope that like doing it as a film would have some more intimacy or something that would sort of, you know, correct for the like Broadway like... <laughs> Big gestures and whatever. The other funny part is that the only person from the original Broadway cast to reprise their role is this main character who, you know, tells this lie. And he looks significantly older than the rest of the cast in a way that almost everybody at the Toronto Film Festival commented on. Yeah. (laughs) Where it almost, and it's like he kept the same mannerisms from the stage show. So it's not just he's older, it's that he's big. Doing a stage play on a movie. Which makes him, which one reviewer said makes it almost seem like he is a narc. <laughs> like, like, oh my gosh! So there is a story out there. I don't know if it's true or not. Where they're ju- where they're saying they're going to de-age him digitally mm. and uh, have a limited release of that version to see how it does. So um, I have one more question yeah. for Marlowe's Forrest Gump to Resurrection. Does Haley Joe Osment also get raped? Yeah, I mean, we're working on the premise that it's got the similar beats, and early on, a brick gets thrown at Haley Osmond's head, and then he falls in love with somebody. Okay, so number one, I'm kind of now partial to what was not really Bunny's suggestion because she wasn't actually following that when I said Haley Joel Osment, I meant Forrest Gump's kid. But I, I am I'm kind of sold on the good forest hunting idea. Mm. Where in Forrest Gump two, Forrest Gump's actually like super smart. But then I don't know how it, like, works out to... Because what we need is a character with no agency being in the background of things we care about. That's what Forrest Gump is. Like, it's Mm -hmm. archetypical, uh, folkloric number 087, the Forrest Gump archetype uh, is a bumbling guy with no agency being around important things we all can relate to. Walks into the water gate. Yeah, he just He's like, like, ah, this is just what are you guys doing over here? He's just like, um, excuse me, sir, which way to the book depository? Oh, it's that way. Thank you. By the way, my name is uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Who's a patsy. Yeah. No, I mean, rest in peace, dude. R.I.P. Yeah, no, okay, so I don't know how we're going to deal with the sexual assault. (laughs) Also, I don't know how we're going to deal with the, like, racist shit about the Black Panthers they had in the original. I don't know what the equivalent of that is going to be. In the 90s? Yeah, I will say... Definitely some militias going on oh, in the 90s. Oh, so you're saying that I, like, the Michigan... Oh, like there mil- wasn't a race riot in the 90s. Okay, so Jesus you're saying Christ. the Michigan militia is exactly the same as the Black Panthers, Stephen? No, That's very that he, nice. I'm saying that he's going to be at the, uh, okay. the bombing he's gonna of be at Rodney Jefferson Clinton. He's going to be at the bombing. Is this your sister soldier moment? <laughs> he's going to be at the bombing of the, the Oklahoma City bombing. 
Yeah, saying. yeah. No, I'm talking. No, I'm talking about that scene. He's gonna be the one who <laughs> sells <laughs> Timothy McVeigh the um that I series, evolved. that racist series of books they uh, all love. The Turner Diaries. That, the Turner Diaries. It's that's actually hard to just co- one book. Or, well, there's. There is a sequel to there it, but the a, Turner Diaries is a single book. Anyway, an he'll be yeah, the guy I, who sells it. He'll no. just come across it and think it's somebody's no, no, diary. No. I think he's going to be the guy that drives Timothy McVeigh to the bombing itself. And then wasn't it like, wasn't there okay, a guy that was working? We don't need to working? keep going on this because <laughs> I originally just had him giving Muhammad Atta. No, because he, he'd also do like other He's got to do too. all the terrorism. Okay, no. He's, okay, he's got to help it all of them. No, okay, here's what. One here's, idea I had. He, he's going to be at the White House when Bill Clinton's getting a blowjob. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is true. That he's going to give Linda Tripp the idea to start calling Monica Lewinsky about it. He's going to shake Bill Clinton's hand and be like, nice to meet you, President. And Bill Clinton's going to be like, here, meet Monica, my secretary. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and the then, other like, thing- walk in as he's like, oh, don't go away. And he's like, oh, shucks. Yeah, that I could see. Okay, that would be the Watergate equivalent. <laughs> that would be his Watergate. Um, um, no, yeah, no. But as Bunny said, no, it would be, no, it wouldn't be what Steve said. Uh, he would meet the president, but it would be implied to be just around the Lewinsky. There would be a scene of like, oh, yeah, um, hi, I'm Miss Lewinsky. You're here to meet the president. Like that, that would be a scene. Uh, but it would be he'd be talking to Linda Tripp and say something that would put a thought in her head. Mm-hmm. That would be the and then Watergate. she's like, I got to call Ken Starr. My question is, what is the Elvis dance? And the only thing I could come up with is he teaches Meg White how to drum. What? <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. Well, how did he get to Detroit is the question. Well, I don't know. Maybe he was born in Detroit. I, I'm I'm flexible. He, we, he was born in the South. Okay, yeah, but like maybe, I don't know, Meg White stays at his mom's boarding house and she's like, hey, show me that boring 4-4 thing you do. And he just goes, bum, 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 bum. Bum. And she's like, yeah, that's the thing. And then later, they're walking along the street, and they come up to a TV store that's playing the Seven Nation Army video, and they, like, both stare at it. Like, that's the that's the Elvis dance you one. You got anything? You know, Jack White's my cousin. What? No! What? Like a third, like a third or fourth cousin. It's, like, yeah, well, just... But, yes, I have confirmed it on my Canadian side. <laughs> It's God damn, that's cool. That's so fucking cool. But um, so cool. Okay. Anyway, what? So, okay, okay, what would be the Elvis dance? He, he teaches Fred Durst how to rap. <laughs> okay, I like it. Um, He's like Fred Durst. Uh, before this, you were doing like some singing stuff, and I think you should cut it out. You should get a New York Yankee okay. hat. Steve, are you aware of the scene that I'm discussing? Because you're assigning way too much agency to this character. <laughs> like, he didn't, like, no. He's seven years old, and he somehow has crossed paths with this celebrity. And the celebrity's like, hey, show me that funny sorry, little thing. Sorry, sorry. I'm mistaking it for Back to the Future 
when he actually yeah, goes you're, on stage yes. and, and like does Johnny does, be good, yeah, Johnny uh, be good. Right, and then he's right. like your we're kids are gonna love it the future we're doing and a then it's like stop. what if he does meet well going with the Detroit thing what if he does meet Eminem and is yeah, in the okay, background it could, okay he's in the background to like Eminem's first rap battle like, did he teach Eminem how to, like, hate his mom? Like, what the fuck <laughs> did he teach Eminem? No, okay, like, that was the thing I was Because there was to... nothing that happened in the, like, 90s no, and, and early And that's, that's what I came up with is the most, Nothing like, happened? Yeah, right, just yeah, is the most, the most noticeable else. thing that happened was Meg White drummed this simply. This is, I guess, if... Uh, Are you going to point out how we're overlooking an entire culture? Or something? Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just like, I don't know, a few things, at least, uh, if we're no, staying history, in pop culture, at least around hip hop and such, uh, did happen in those years specifically. Okay, yeah. so he, like, he was like, oh, wait, there okay, is a, so maybe he like, he was like, hey, those could he pro- have invented record scratching? Would that work with our timeline? I don't think no, so. No, that's too early. He could have given people the idea about sampling, however, because Ooh, perhaps no, he's... Auto-tune, that's what it is. No, no, he's like, Cisco, hey, here's a thong. <laughs> Write a song about that. <laughs> or uh, I don't know the whole Puff Daddy, the thong? whole Puff Daddy era, the shiny suits, yeah, the fisheye lenses. Like, okay, yeah, no, actually, no, no that's right. Isn't. No, Bonnie's correct. No, Bonnie is correct. The shiny suit that is an idea. It what is a, okay. That one hundred. in the late nineties. What if yeah. he like showed Puff Daddy like Led Zeppelin's Cashmere and was like, "There's going to be a Godzilla film." <laughs> which is much, dun, which dun, is post nine eleven. Yeah, no, I'm gonna. Dun, say, dun, yeah, no, no. Okay, honestly, if we're assuming he's a young adult at nine eleven, then we can work within. Hey, Mister Cobain, uh, something about a shotgun. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't remember where I was going with this, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, so, no, like... That's the, like, there's nothing that happened between, like, 95 and 2008. Oh, my God. I know the guy that gave Kirk Cobain a shotgun. Yes, I know you know the guy who gave Kirk Cobain a shotgun. I met him. I met his wife. His wife sold me a Mm T-shirt. I was like, you're the wife of the guy that sold Kirk Cobain a shotgun. Yeah, every shirt is made with uh, never-ending guilt. Never never mind the guilt. More. <laughs> hey. Anyway, so speaking of baby dicks, the baby. D- <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's very funny because I am a bit older than you guys that you think nothing happened. Between. Nothing happened. There was there was like ninety eight degrees. There was literally. Britney Spears, Britney the Spears, entire pop, the entire boy band, awful, like, fucking era happened yeah, well, in the no, midst of this. Okay, um, Levine, just all the worst things, but nothing of it happened. It was all just in, a, in an advent of simulation. There was just matrixes. I of, lived it. I just, it's very so funny. You, you sound like you heard about it. <laughs> I, I know much more about Avril Lavigne. I know specifically Avril Lavigne. Yes. You do. But um, I, I'm just saying like. Uh, there was the, frosted tips. I had frosted tips, with, which means I lived it. 
I had the flips on the tips. I'm, the I, yes, I'm yeah. well aware. Uh, did you actually, did you use a cap? No, I used the gel. What, frosted tips mean they're highlighted. Uh, no, I didn't highlight them. Okay. I just had so the... F- didn't have frosted tips. So I just tips. had tips. I didn't have them frosted. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's just, you had spiked hair. Anyone could have and spiked hair. And I had the, the blue gel, you know, when you had the blue gel and you just put it in your hair. But my hair is so fucking thick that I had to put the entire bottle anytime and it smelled like down the hallway from wherever I was. I also had conch shells that I wore around my neck. This was 2000. And- nice. I was wearing a lot of a lot of silver. Okay, so, Bonnie, what is your what is your Elvis dance then? I feel like I I do like the shiny suit idea. I, yeah, I, think I do. That, I feel like a shiny thing, suit. Like a, uh, a kid could like have somehow made a shoot a suit shiny and like Puff Daddy would I be staying like, at his I mom's feel like actually house. actually the interaction happens between um, Mace and Mace brings the idea. To Puff Daddy. Do you know me? Buddy, I think you're being way more obscure than Elvis Presley. All right. All right. I, I, I don't have time to ground Elvis. this for you in uh, oh, people shit. who actually she's, know what I'm talking about. I'm just like saying, it's like. No, it's, she, uh, she's also throwing down her like knowing black people. Uh, or, I'm, this could just be a pop culture thing as well. It doesn't have to be that. I, I, I don't assume that. Other people uh, are ignorant of pop culture that involves black people. <laughs> so I really, but I grew up in a black city. So like, that's not, I don't, I, I right. don't know what it's uh, like just <laughs> to the, not the have that around. I'm asking for is to but it's Elvis just, it was Presley. just like what was, yeah. And I'm saying like, I think the Cisco with a thong is, uh, I, I think if I said the equivalent to the famousness of the Big Bopper, you know, you'd have more wiggle room. Do you room. think you think Meg White's drumming is equivalent to Elvis? Because that's what I'm just, you know. Okay, so let me... Uh, uh, but I feel like if it's Puff Daddy, I feel like Puff Daddy is known for sampling, and it would be something in that area. Okay, so this is this is my thing with the Meg White. I shared it initially as an example of this is absolutely not what I want to do because it's extremely niche and alienating to most people. Uh, so... I'm saying there needs to be a better idea. Well, then if it's a, I mean, if we're talking equivalent to Elvis Presley, then why wouldn't we talk about those pop stars? Why why wouldn't we talk about Britney Spears or or something like? Reference Elvis. Who doesn't fucking reference Elvis? Because he was a white guy doing a black. Jay Z referenced the Grateful Dead. What was the line? Yes, I I am aware that Eminem specifically does reference a lot. uh, Because he was a white guy doing a black thing. Right. No, I mean, no. Britney Spears could work. Okay, so what's Britney Spears' talent that she's known for? Uh, Well, it would have to be, like, something tied to, like, an iconic moment more so. So, like, he gives her a haircut? What are we saying? Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
he gives her the hook to one of the songs. He tells her to take the snake to the VMAs. Uh, oh, yeah, like, yeah. like it, you know. Uh, he's wear, she's wearing the, uh, the, the red leather the, in the music video. Uh, he's in the background of the music video. She, he's like... Oh, it was, yeah, no, he definitely gets like... <laughs> Yeah, CGI'd into a video. Yeah. Yeah, he's um, in the sleeve. Probably Oops, I Did It Again. Oops, I Did It Again, or uh, what's the And other Oops, one? I Did It Again is really fun because they shoehorn in this thing where an astronaut, an astronaut, I love that yeah, for some yeah, reason, brings a, a diamond a to her, teenager. and it's the diamond from Titanic. Yeah. Uh, and Bonnie, I love, I love Britney's Bonnie, we were, line read of, yep. but I thought the old lady threw it in at the end. <laughs> Yeah, Bunny, we we are like uh, I was horny enough at like yeah, but I don't think you appreciate like that the impact uh, what it was like generally pop culture wise. (laughs) Yeah, no, we did. I was in, and this character is definitely going to be in the movie Titanic. I was in sixth grade when Britney was like at the height of her popularity. Yeah, which is a bad time. To be horny and having uh, okay. people dancing. You give me real weird timelines for yourself. You're always like, I was in fourth grade and I was like, something, something that is way too advanced for fourth graders. <laughs> it's okay, like. <laughs> I'm also autistic, but. I, I am as well. As I am not. I'm just bipolar. Yeah, yeah but keep like, bringing no, this up. no, like, I mean, yes, I, I was in fourth grade and I probably had some insane thoughts for a fourth grader. But yes, I was in sixth grade when Britney Spears was, and I hated her because I like classic rock and the Grateful Dead. Ditto. But yes, at the height of Britney Spears' popularity, which I didn't personally participate in because I was one of those kids, I was in like fifth, sixth grade. Fifth grade, all the girls were into Spice Girls. Sixth grade, yeah, Britney Spears was starting to get off the ground. And then eighth grade, 9 11 happened. Yeah. Second week of school. Bringing us back to the Bringing theme us back of to this today, episode. 20 years ago, eighth yeah. grade. Eighth grade, don't remember anything about it. It's completely blurred out. Everything about it. So detailed. No, I remember nothing. It was the most uneventful year of school. Most eventful year of possibly any like historical. I remember getting home and being like, Oh dad, you're home? And he's like, Yeah, I work for the fucking federal government. Of course I'm home. Like, yeah, they thought that So it was Brittany and then it was P.O.D. What? Yeah, that was... <laughs> okay. You know, P.O.D. was like the band that was number one like the week... Yes. ...before 9-11. Oh, there was a fun tweet today that was like 21 years... 20 years ago, Nickelback. Nick, that, that was my uh, reference at the beginning yeah. of the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve but Hardy. who tweeted it? It Was Silver it the Link. AP... No, it was the AP Planner that tweeted it. Yeah. Uh, which they're like, yeah, Give if you're looking for photograph. a good alternate story for today. Yeah. Give me that graph. Around that time, I watched TRL exclusively every day. I refused to after watch school. any MTV. I, I watched, didn't like uh, any of it. I watched TRL, but I watched a lot of 106 in Park as well. Uh, so I would switch back and forth. I didn't like any of it. I just wanted to know what the kids were into those days because I was a kid and I was like, I don't get any of it. I just need to absorb it through this media landscape, which I'm not a part of. Our marching band was on TRL, fun fact. 
and 50 Cent was the guest. We learned Pink's I'm Coming Up. I'm coming out. I'm coming out, yeah. And you better get this party started. And I learned it on saxophone, and then we marched down Fifth Avenue or Mm -hmm. Broadway, and then a bunch of people were up there and were surrounding P. Diddy. But I wasn't, I was on the street when it happened. So we did live it. Is my point. This yeah, is no, I just I just mean the tone with like the the, the things the, you're pulling from. The, I'm the, like, oh, okay. The dismissive I, tone of the entire time period is to show how forgettable all of that was. And I think I'm thinking about it generally, and not about my like specific childish uh, cool policing I was into. We were both okay. cool policers, Marlo and I. <laughs> I yeah, uh, but the, the the problem is. Uh, I'm A-cab, was, especially cool police. <laughs> right. The problem is there was no, like, division between our binary. Like, I was absolutely not plugged into pop culture at the time. I was. In a very uh, anthropological way. I was yeah, in a, was, like, voyeuristic way. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Was, my fucking mom's friend gave me, like, these fucking Tom Petty bootlegs from the Fillmore. And that was, like, the album I listened to the most. That's my parents' music, man. Like, I've been Yeah, no, and I love that My shit. parents didn't have music. My parents yeah. were, like, Led Zeppelin, Tom Petty, fucking, See, like... I had to discover all those on my own. So, and then, like... That was my parents' music, and I fucking loved it. You both are it. fucking losers, because you follow... Well, you... No, I am. No, yeah. Bonnie rejected it. I didn't. And and I mean, I, I, to, I like, I I, it to, was just like, it wasn't like, oh, I hate this. I was just like, that's, oh, that's like my mom and dad's music. And then I liked the music people at school liked, uh, which in Baltimore City in, in the 90s was hip hop. And I didn't get into pop music till I was like 14. Like I was into Baltimore club music, and, which was like very specific local songs. And I was super into TLC. That was the first concert I ever went to. I was really into TLC and Salt and Pepper and Tony Braxton. Uh, That's why you named and, the dog. No, Miss Tony's actually named after a DJ named Miss Tony, mm. uh, Baltimore club DJ. But uh, Tony Braxton, also from Maryland. But yeah, I was super into Mariah Carey, like whatever. Uh, and then I went to private school and they were into, there were like two radio stations, right? And it was like, I had grown up listening to 92Q and then I went to the private school and they listened to HFS, which wasn't even in Baltimore. It was like sort of closer to DC and they were more rock and alternative. I did like Nirvana and I was the only person when I was still in public school, I was the only person with another girl named Zoe who had banged to <laughs> Nirvana at a school dance. Because <laughs> um, I was also a fucking weirdo. Uh, I was down and not. Yeah, I was just like, uh, and then I, because there was like no me not being a weirdo, I was just kind of like, whatever guys, like this is how I am. So I, I just didn't, whatever. And then I had real disdain for the things the preppy girls liked in a way that wasn't, you know, that was my own cool policing. Wait, you gotta tell us more about this banging to Nirvana. Point is, we're all cool policing and my (laughs) particular cool policing is, yes, I was not into fucking pop music at the age when it was being targeted to me. I specifically had a conscious decision where I was like, I like Tom Petty more than this and I'm gonna listen to Tom Petty. See, and I just, I think that's, I feel like 
that is the same as somebody who's like, I love everything that's super popular. Yeah, you know no, what I mean? I'm, like I'm to not me, like it isn't. You know? I'm not saying otherwise. Uh, I'm just saying that was me. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Whatever. I mean, like some people like Tom Petty because he's awesome. Tom um, Petty is awesome. I saw him at Bonnaroo. Rest in peace, buddy. And some people like shitty music, you know, and it's different strokes. That's what I'm saying. Not, that like, like, there's no I don't, I don't them. ever, I don't feel a need to be like, this is shitty, and yeah, this is no, like whatever. I don't care. No, I don't. Uh, you, <laughs> you, okay, definitely, you definitely do. Absolutely man. not. No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, no. You, you're like judging. You're reading in a moral. Uh, oh, I'm not here. reading in a moral thing. I'm reading in a very explicit judgment thing that you're like, well, this is uh, just based on uh, the facts. <laughs> That's no, the tone I mean, of like, it. And yeah, I'm just sure. like, okay. Absolutely. But, you know, like, fine. Some people like that. Uh, and some people don't. Different strokes, uh, different folks. Strokes and folks, baby. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a good time to talk about Cinderella. Cinderella. A great topic for 9-11 tributes. So some would say that Cinderella is the vouch of folklore. (laughs) In that it would precede the statement some might say. I want you you to expand on that. Well, no, I mean, some might say. Which is a coercive thing to say. Because Cinderella is very concerned with white genocide. Yeah, white genocide. I I was simply saying some might say it. I wasn't saying I would say it. I'm just saying some people would say it. Just putting out the possibility. Out of the infinite sea of possibilities. I'm not saying some are saying it, let alone many are saying it. I'm just saying (laughs) that some. Are you saying that? Vouch, may or may not Vouch say. could have been the fairy godmother of this. Vouch would think the fairy godmother Vouch was a Vouch could have been one of them fat mice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but Vouch would have been James Corden, and he would have called the fairy godmother a black nationalist. Oh, one of my, fa- I will say, starting out on a positive so note. So we are, we are talking about the new one, Amazon Prime. Amazon uh, Prime. Cinderella. Entrepreneurial Non-Disney uh, with Camila Cabello, the uh, Spaniard girl who... Uh, is she from Spain? She, like, basically, she gets some criticism Espana? because Espana? she, I believe she is ethnically Spanish, but she will allow people to see her as Latina. So it's like one of these things. It was unclear. Uh, though I might be wrong, I find Camila Cabello uh, incredibly, like... Bad at lip syncing? Just a goon. Like, she looks like a total, like... <laughs> Cartoon mouse who's confused. No, yeah, Bunny. And there Bunny, okay, Bunny Bunny was like, she's her. very pretty and and like she's good at singing. I'm just like there's something that where I'm just no, like okay, Bunny, you know when they're like Bunny that girl was, has it. I was like she's a different it. Like Bunny was acting like Lucille Bluth towards maybe. Uh, <laughs> her arms are a little too fatty. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely no. Bunny she's was too like, much in the cheeks. She over like turned. She like she's turned to the camera. Looking. She just looked like like a. Little Little sleepy eyed. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, Bunny was giving her I different plastic I, surgery. I have she, no like. I have no like ill feelings towards her. I just am like. This huh? is like Marlo saying I'm like, he's not huh? judgmental. I'm like her. Her. Yeah, well, because I'm not, and neither is Bunny. She. Um, I might be getting this wrong uh, with these boring brunettes, pop stars. Um, I think she did. She, did she date Sam Mendes? 
I have no Which, idea who uh, any is, of these people are. Well, uh, Sam Mendes, I became familiar with, who's also uh, like Spanish in name only, I guess. Sam Mendes, I'm familiar with because when I worked at the special needs school, the student I worked with was really obsessed with Sean Mendes' song, Stitches. And that's how I like became aware of him. Um, where it's like, something like that. It's like, whatever. It's like one of these songs that I feel like I've heard in a commercial or in the background of like whatever, but I'm never like, I've never tuned in. (laughs) No, it's like, I'm sucking dick. It's, it's, I don't know. It's a song called Stitches. It's whatever, but I think they were dating for a while, but they had the like, it just looked like they were bearding each other. They might still be dating. I don't know. But it was like, sometimes I just come across it and it'd be like, oh, they put a cutesy thing together. And I was like, these people are not fucking. This is like, this is, no, there's no way. But then I don't know if I just get like a weird asexual uh, vibe about her. Have you gone on famous birthdays to figure out any of these You know what I haven't and I'm so sorry Steve Um, I know (laughs) you you need them clicks You can get some clicks my way I did two characters from 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 the new Cinderella Cinderella. the lesser known uh, people I'm sure Yeah, The first trans person in a Hollywood movie musical Uh, it's gotta be yeah musical we're we're, yeah already limiting this Um, what's which uh uh, and she plays a cis guy, which is interesting. Yeah. But <laughs> it's a very effeminate cis guy. Yes. <laughs> Let me pull it up. I forget what her name is. It's Janet. 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 Goddammit. Who are we talking it about? It was the prince's best friend. The okay. car- kind of foppish guy. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, the actress that plays him, I think I was the first trans woman cast in a, a major Hollywood musical. That we know of. That we know of. I put that in there. Yeah. Yeah, might as well. And then also the one of the stepsisters you profiled, yeah, the, right? the secondary, like, uh, I think Narcissist. Or, uh, the very subtly named. The skinnier one. Yeah, the skinnier one, not the fat, Who I thought was, one. I, I told you. She I, was called Narcissa to let us all know she was Greek and therefore untrustworthy. I thought yes. it was to And hiding know. something in those garments. I thought it was to let us know that she loved herself. No, uh, no, it's a Greek name. It just means that you're, and you know. It's a Greek name for the literal guy, Narcissus, who died because he fell in love with his own reflection and was staring at it so long right, in the but they water. Were, they weren't referencing that. They were just referencing... But then a god was like, from... he was so pretty, I'm going to make him a flower. No, they were just referencing that he was Greek and therefore like weird and untrustworthy. And, and clever and cunning. Uh, scheming, some might Gen- say. Yeah. Janae Lalachu. Okay, yeah, I know that person. Yeah, and also Billy Porter was the genderless fairy god person. Who I put in this person's profile as the Associated Act because of their LGBT connection. Anyway, this movie was gay as fuck, Yeah, but also it was gay as fuck. (laughs) It was both gay and gay. Yeah. It was, I don't know. It was, first, I didn't know that it wasn't original songs until I started watching it. Well, the only original were, okay, music the, is the horrible 
<laughs> it was it was a, English hip hop drumline uh, where someone's Hamilton. rapping. Oh, yeah, so it's I'm like from Brixton. Yeah, it was like Hamilton rapping uh, is the only like original music. Yeah, but with, Hamilton uh, very rapping modern... with a British accent, yeah. which is worse. But, but with like an American drumline uh, accompanying him full with like gold nameplate earrings. Well, that's just all British rap and, can only uh, survive on references well, to America. It's also because this movie was made after Beyonce did the like concert with all the like, uh, you know what I mean? It was like, they. it's like they just took things that just, uh, you know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, well, well this, well, okay. so that. the one thing that both me and Bonnie said, and Steve, I think you can relate, is this uh, really did remind you of your friend going, hey, so I wrote this play. Could you please come? Yeah, we're doing it in the black box. Uh, <laughs> like, Steve, uh, as someone who I know has had this experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, if it was that, you'd be like, okay, yeah, no, okay. It's, it's yeah. fine. No, yeah. really? I, I, did, I did, I can say this about this movie. I legitimately did not want to kill myself watching this movie. There were parts that I did. No, there were parts I didn't enjoy, but I legitimately did not want to physically in my life uh, not for me this me, me well Steve you're all sad all the time but anyway it um, was more like uh, I just wanted to murder myself every time they tried to lip sync that was what threw me the most well no okay because I'm I'm relating to this literally my friend tells me I wrote a play it's an adaptation of Cinderella please come and I come. In your face. Yeah, no, sure. And it is bad lip syncing of pop songs that have already been done that I also hate. Except but, for Seven Nation Army. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> we can agree that the Seven Nation Army part actually ruled. I mean, um, except the, that was one of the worst scenes for me. Was the ball scene. The ball scene where, yeah. Where all the Wait, women no, the, were the like... The dynamics of this world are very unclear. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, just, a, just as the time up, period up, is up. very unclear. Uh, going along with what Marlo said about it feeling like a, you know, your friend's like, we're, we're putting this up, will you come see it? And in that context, you're like, all right. The sort of like set dressing and costuming seemed to yes. be in a similar vein where it, it was felt just like prop room costume. Yes, it was like whatever we got back here, let's it pull it out. One, it's one informed by almost too much. Obviously an aspect of it is like informed by Disney's Cinderella specifically, which is a like like a Victorian era costuming of right. of those characters or whatever. There are definitely like silhouettes and tableaus in this movie that are meant to evoke the animated thing. Right. Yes. It, like, it felt like a cartoon. So, but then it's like they just mix it in with these other weird, like some things are very 18th century, some I, things I obviously this the drumline. We were watching it is it doesn't know whether it's in 1300 or 1800 a lot of the time where it's like or literally like 18 
where I was expecting oh, someone to have like, a, a, almost a Model T. Everyone is talking like it's 2021. Well, yeah, yeah. That, and I can accept that because that's a genre. Yeah. That's, that's a thing. That's, that's what we're doing. I understand it. But what I am arguing against is aesthetically, it's like, oh, yes, you need to marry her for all her lands, and also there's a sea monster. And meanwhile, you look like you could then get into a fucking Model T, as Bonnie said, and drive away. Like, you, you. Like, I, I was almost waiting for like a 1920s or a Great Gatsby sort of yep. like pastiche to like show up as well. Because yeah, they were like, just like. It is absolutely. They were just like pastiche. old. It was it, just like old oh, timeliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the dynamics of the world are very unclear because they're obviously there's some bad traditions there's some misogyny but the first way i feel like we're introduced to it in the film is that is explicitly the idea that women can't have businesses right <laughs> which I guess also, depression. okay and also i just have to point out if we are to assume this is an era in which a prince will marry a princess so his father can get the land next to the sea monster well, yeah, well, you're mixing up. There's a scene in the beginning where the prince turns down a marriage to a local kingdom, which would have given, extended their kingdom to the sea monster's land and da right. da And he doesn't want to do that. And if we were into that era of transactional feudal marriages, mm-hmm. women are actually mostly the ones who produce things that are sold on markets. If we want to look at the history of economics... Oh, yeah, like, the, in in this era, they wouldn't in, have been like, ladies can't have a business. They'd be like... In the feudal era, what do you think a business is? A business is a woman is sewing shit at her house that then once every two weeks she takes a bunch of shit and buys it to buy some extra grain for her household. Like, that was what commerce was during the feudal era, was handicrafts made mostly by women. Up well, until- and then uh, if we're talking straight up peasants in a field feudal era, it's not as if the women weren't doing labor. Oh, they were. No, they were absolutely <laughs> also. There no, was but no that's like the thing like they were also doing like, yeah, field work. But as far as like market based, what you could call like the proto yes. com- commodity trade thing. And you can look at Engels, you can look at Weber, you can look at people who wrote in the last five years. There's a general agreement that until capitalism really took off, in terms of producing commodities that get exchanged on a market, that was mostly women. That was mostly women for most of history and most of capitalist history. Like, initially in capitalism, it was the women at the fucking textile mills. But, like, the whole... But the men own the textile mills. Right, sure. But, like, the whole, like, cottage industry... The men locked the textile mills to... And let the women die in fires. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, no, but like the, oh, the yeah. like literally the thing That's before how we factories do <laughs> was called cottage industry. The, the the meaning of that is it was a thing you made in a cottage. That was where made bitches by women. Be. Yeah. That's yeah. where uh, it's stank the domain of, pu- of ladies. That's where it's stank of pussy juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, no, the the whole idea though that cottage. It, and also like the uh, the other thing is like our scope of what our commodities is would be much more limited like the idea that you would ever buy a dress in any sense of the term buy a dress is very alien like to Yeah, that's the other thing is that it's, it's make it was like dress. very much like modern capitalism like projected into like an old-timey right. thing because um in the olden days, if you were a wealthy person who could buy dresses, you weren't buying them at the... You had the, a dressmaker. Yeah, you had a dressmaker you went to uh, that you had a relationship with. You didn't go to the marketplace or the, the fucking Agora and just, like, pick one up. <laughs> like, that was the funny thing about the dress, too. I was like... What size is it? I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Will you buy this dress, random I, person? I, like, uh, I want to point out that the sister of the it's prince... It's gaunt. The sister, the sister of the prince who ended up wearing that who dress... Who was firmly in the early 20th century. Yeah. Early, uh, she was definitely... They were definitely also doing, like, modern royal, like... Winks. Well, she was the moral center of the movie. Well, and Prince Charming's obviously Harry from uh, the current (laughs) royal family. Right. And, I mean, yeah, it was very predictable. It was like, okay, Princess is going to rule the kingdom. We got it. She's the Hillary Clinton. Right. Did you check out her ideas she had for the kingdom? Oh, they sucked at poverty. It it was like, but it (laughs) it was like... I haven't We're thought about We're spending any- all the money on catapults, catapults and it just yeah. benefits the catapult makers. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, I love this, this lib dream that all we need is a, a clever girl. Uh, just yeah, a clever no. girl to say, have you noticed that? And everybody goes, oh my God, I can't believe it. We can't stand this hypocrisy. We've changed no. it all. John Li- Stewart fixed it. Literally, uh- <laughs> the only. Segment of the population that benefits from buying catapults is the people who make catapults. Never mind what we use catapults for and who might benefit from that use of catapults. Or be harmed by it. Well, yes, but like they aren't the ones making us buy catapults. I'm saying, like, in terms of like, it's such a fucking proto Joe Rogan where. I, I forget the exact nature of the joke, but it's like, yeah, back in the early 2000s, you didn't need Joe Rogan. Your older brother just had a friend who would sell you weed and talk about how the government is putting, like, microchips in your dick or whatever the fuck. Like, Ivermectin know. in your yeah, spinal cord. Yeah, but, like... Which Bunny is doing, like Just Joe putting on Rogan. my face. <laughs> but no, no. I mean, I I just mean the like that Do I concept CNN? of it's like, oh yeah, the only reason the United States ever goes to war is because there's like five guys who literally make bombs and they're really loud and annoying. And it, never mind who we drop the bombs on and there was, who there was the other there was the other one that she had though that was. What if we? I have like a five five step plan to ending poverty. Does anybody want to like debate it with me? And then Pierce Brosnan is like, "Shut the fuck up, wench! You're not in line." Pierce Brosnan ruled through most of this movie, but <laughs> he really did. Oh no, she was she was Lisa Simpson. Uh, yeah, I, I it was it, no, it was it was 
Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is our Lisa Simpson, far more like than Hillary. Yeah, yeah. Because it's that like softer thing, but it's also very emblematic She's- of like that belief that people, especially people who write in TV <laughs> and in entertainment, believe where, oh my gosh, the problem is just you don't have one smart white woman to go, guys, have you noticed? Blah, blah, blah. And then everybody goes, <gasps> like, and, and no one considers charge. that it's that way on purpose. And yeah, they, like, you know what I mean? It's, uh, we only put her in that charge. fantasy that a uh, certain demographic can have about, oh my gosh, like everything could change if we just educated more we just whatever which is often a tactic to disseminate prejudice shit like this um couching things in education versus like an outright judgment is also like it's basically like if you go in and you see like bad racism in the workplace and they're like we don't have a way to fix this but what if we went into like five classes if you took like a seminar on racism that would change it and that's how i felt like her problem her problem solutions were following in the white fragility kind of vein of well we have this very simple solution that i've superficially well the solution is that she's allowed to have a business well, no, not her, but oh. the princess. No, no, we're, oh, talking, the princess. we're still we're talking, talking about, about the, the sister. Prince, the no, sister. but like the solution Lisa is that Simpson. women should have a business. Yes. I mean, like that that women need um, agency. It, it's that it's that idea that if you just let us have a seat at the table, an agency everything. means being the personal dressmaker of, of, of a, a wealthy a usurping black, black princess, a, bl- a black the Catherine the Great. Baby. Basically, is who we're led to believe this woman Which, is. Which can we talk about, like the multiculturalism of this? Yeah, I don't give a shit. No, I mean, okay, this is the one thing about this that I noticed, and I was like, I don't care. Okay, I mean, I it seemed like, as you said, that the rules were very fluid, and that when there was a ball, and there was very obviously an Indian woman next to a bald black woman, next to a bunch of white women. It seemed like they were going for... This doesn't take place in Europe. This doesn't take place in history. This takes place in an alternate universe where sometimes people just get born black, and that's how it is. Which is how we imagine America as being this enlightened multicultural society that we, in the people that went to college, this is how we imagine our academic sphere and the amount of discourse. And those are the people that were fighting for the hand of the very white prince. I'm generally okay with colorblind casting I understand whatever, like, Zizekian ideology, like, argument you want to make. I'm generally okay with the fact that, okay, you know what? We're making up a world that exists. We're casting people in it. Yeah, it's vaguely based on some era of Europe that extends between... Specifically British, Victorian era. It ext- Whatever extends between 1100 and 1950 is this, like, super era that... It, it's very, like, Archer, where it's, like, they very, like... 
you know, consciously like pull things from, yeah, cool spy shit is between 1950 and 1980. So let's just put all of it together. And it's doing that only over like 700 years. I think it's doing something that arguably is even a little bit more interesting to be critical of because, well, one, like colorblind casting, like uh, like in a theater sense is is not that uncommon. It's not a problem. Uh, especially if the story at hand is a fairy tale, is something that is in a, a fantasy. universe. Yes. Uh, or even, you know, Shakespeare, things like that. Like, that's it's very common to just do the play and not have a, you know, a racial story that you're telling with yeah. the casting. But what was interesting about this Cinderella is that it was absent of seemingly racial prejudice, but there was still, like... Classism. Uh, well, no, there was still anti-woman bias, but the way it was communicated was very, to me, like very white feminism, where it was... Fixated, again, on her not being allowed to have a business, but that is simultaneously the same thing as being used to be sympathetic somewhat to the stepmother character who feels she doesn't have other choice. I put that in there, and they humanize the stepmother. They humanized the stepmother and the stepsisters. You know, they they, weren't as ugly. They weren't as ugly. They are, uh, they are played as more misguided, the stepsisters. And that's what we really need to get down (laughs) to is they basically, they took the ugly part of ugly stepmother and ugly stepsister. And we were like, well, let's just make them from like New Jersey (laughs) instead. Um, I think you mean Jersey from England. Uh, they yeah. were all British actors. Yeah, the New Jersey of England, Jersey. <laughs> no, well, the mother is Adina Menzel, who is very much an American uh, oh, Broadway I... uh, icon. So. Also, I <laughs> original will point Rent out, cast. Uh, I, will, I only know I from further, the stepsister, who is very British. Yes. I will further point out third Mini Driver movie I've seen. Oh yeah, I like Mini Driver. I always enjoy. Uh, who was the queen? But uh, Idina Menzel played the stepmother. Idina Menzel also um, was the voice of Elsa in Frozen. So she's the one who sang Let It Go. And she, original Broadway cast of Rent, she's uh, the one lesbian in it. I gotta say, the... They were coded Italian. I gotta say, the way they shifted from, like, spoken live in studio or live on set to... Like, the studio was so awkward. That was the thing that kept throwing me, was the way in which they went from spoken word to singing was so jarring every time they did it. Because you could tell both in their mannerisms, but also in their, like, general production value of their voice, that there was a distinct difference between when they were speaking on set and when they shifted into a studio atmosphere. Yeah, that's common in a lot. But yeah, no, it definitely Yeah, I feel like at this point, you know, if you lived through Glee, you're sort of like... Yeah, it's uh, kind of just like... What you're 
pointing out is that it's obvious that they weren't doing dialogue and then literally singing. in that moment singing. They recorded their songs and in I, a studio in a closed well, atmosphere. And I recognize the simulacrum that comes with yeah. being in this universe of okay, most of this stuff is pre-recorded. We are just acting out these things mm. until we get to the next song. I'm fine with that. It's just the amount of production costs that went into everything but that and then the seemingly low production costs that went into whatever transition was necessary. I mean, I would almost was, relate it to like Love and James Bond and just... Um, one of my favorite things in an old James Bond movie is incredibly shitty rear screen projection. I like seeing the grains. I like seeing the bad special effects. And there are certain bad special effects that are associated with James Bond that are specific to that genre that makes it feel James Bondy. And 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 yeah, like you're watching a film version of a musical you're going to get a hard cut from the onset dialogue to the ADR or, you know, like whatever, like fucking pre-recorded studio stuff. And it's just sort of, it's like, it's almost like saying like, oh, did you know that like most music videos are lip synced? <laughs> like, I mean, it, it, like there's a part of it. It's like, yeah, of course, yeah, that's how they do and it. And I recognize that. But in this instance, it always took me out of it. Okay, that's musicals in general. I wouldn't say all. Buddy, back me up on this. Well, I mean, it's hard because this in particular is a jukebox musical that is based around the story of Cinderella. And like half of it for me was like marveling at their song choices more than I was even paying attention to her cohesive performance. Because it's like... Yes. one, I thought it was going to be original music, and I thought it was going to be um, funny because the director is Kay Cannon, mm-hmm. who I know as a comedy person. So I assumed it was going to be like a little sillier or whatever. I mean, and to be uh, fair, they intended they, well, to, they did this mean to be it a to, to make, be funnier than it is, the but I thought it of, was going to be a little bit. The best part of this was the three mice. <laughs> No. No, the best part of this was Pierce Brosnan trying to run his kingdom. (laughs) I felt for Pierce Brosnan through all of this. God damn it, Steve. That was... That was a joke. Yeah. I didn't actually think also, that was Also, I'm best like, part. how dare they... Like, it was the most... You were talking about levity. how they didn't really make people try on the okay, show. Okay, so this is my... This has been brewing with me this entire time. Mm-hmm. We uh, talk about shoes. Right. Let's, oh, my God. Let's get shoes. some shoes. Let's get some <laughs> shoes. Let's get some shoes. Oh, my God. Shoes? Hey, remember the 2000s? <laughs> 9-11 happened. Yeah. Anyway, so slightly after 9-11, there was a video called New Shoes that dropped on what would soon become YouTube. There was also a video called My New Haircut. That was cool, too. Mm -hmm. Matt, play the intro for My New Haircut. I'm going to pause now. You know, I was at a garage last night, 18, 18 and older, and, uh, you know, I got myself a prom date. Hey, Broski, two Heinekens. I want to shot the title, you know? You gotta make sure they're ready. Notices, 
This is my new fucking haircut. You know what that means? I'm getting some fucking pussy tonight. My boys, they're coming out. They all got the same haircut. They're getting some fucking pussy tonight. <laughs> okay, I'm assuming Matt did that. So, okay, this has been my essential argument against this movie the whole time and i've had detractors say that oh actually it's not really about the shiz it's about whether a commoner can become royalty detractors being myself just telling you that that is uh when we talk about a sports uh team having a cinderella story it's not about them trying on shoes right but when <laughs> scholars of great renown i am talking about watch um, american football like a simpleton talk about a cinderella story what they're talking about i am also about, correct in that scenario are so. you talking about foot fetish no I i'm talking about the fact that this isn't a cinderella story because in order to be a cinderella story you need one scene of someone to say i don't know that you're the person you are and then that person puts a shoe on and they say that shoe fits you i know you to be this person so which understand the argument i do want to make clear that what Marley's referring to is uh, the coda with which they number different folklores and fables. The X Factor is considered the like commoner plucked from obscurity who marries a noble, a royal, etc. The shoe thing, there are shoe things in other fables. Shoe, the glass slipper specifically is Charles Perrault's Cinderella, the French version. I'm, tell, I'm talking shoe sizes. I'm talking there is a shoe size identification based story motif that Cinderella falls into that did not occur during this movie. There was never a point where the prince did not know who Cinderella was. There was never a point where anyone All needed he had to, to do try was look through the people's fucking mail slots and be like, nope, she's too fucking it ugly. Is, <laughs> Let it me is move literally on. <laughs> established in the magical <laughs> mythos like, of nope, this movie. she's fucking ugly. She's got two horns on her head. I don't want to, I don't want to date her. It is literally established by our fairy god androgynous <laughs> um, that fairy goddess that no. the prince <laughs> literally will recognize her on site. Who turns they, into a butterfly. Yeah, Holy sure, shit. whatever. I don't give a shit. Okay, it's established the prince recognizes her on site. The entire point of a Cinderella story, it has appeared in many cultures over many years since we invented writing, was that there was this fixation on this idea that someone would try a shoe on, get recognized because the shoe fit them, and therefore become royalty. That's what makes a Cinderella story. I don't give a shit if she then decides, oh, I would rather start a hedge fund than marry the prince. Fuck it. Whatever. I don't get, care. <laughs> Go liberal feminism. That fucking rules. I'm going to yeah. start a small business opportunity. Yeah. Fucking start like the free trade gonna, label and I'm gonna personally. She's going to start the uh, first multi-level marketing. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. What, no, what I wanted yeah, to point out was start that, that dress that she sells at the beginning to the prince for the princess to wear before we got sidetracked was ugly as shit on the princess. Like, just... <laughs> 
fucking. It was not the princess's style at no, all. No, it was like she was wearing. Who was in like modern? Like, who was in like 20th century Chanel the whole time? <laughs> but the point is, if you're going to call yourself Cinderella, because Snow White was also picked out uh, and got chosen to become. No, cool. that is not the story of Snow White. Uh-oh. She was a princess um, who was uh, banished to the, like, do you no- not, like, I literally almost double, I almost stayed an extra semester to double major in this fucking shit. Listen, there is uh, a 9-11 plane a- being flown into the two of you right now. No, because, uh, but I believe, like, there are um, other stories of several of, like Bunny's the Arabian her- Nights, including Aladdin, as a reverse, like gender reversal of that same idea. It's uh, that is a motif that is like a fairy tale kind of trope. But the right. uh, the but there's a shoe specific. But the Cinderella thing is the specific thing is her having been so lowly okay, this, initially. This, this gets into what I no, wanted to talk there, about. No, because there is no, a... No, Myra, shut up. I don't want to talk about the shoe anymore. Yes, I arguably wanted, you could say that Chinese story is a version of it, but the, the it's, I, that's a white person going, yeah, that's the same thing. I, like, I, like I, it's... Okay, what I want to talk about is magic with a fucking K and the amount to which class mobility was brought about through magic has always struck me as a thing that Cinderella... Because the fantasy element of Cinderella is that she is a peasant and that she becomes the simulation or, like, the spectacle of what an aristocrat becomes. Right? Like, she has a fairy godmother who's like, ah, I got magic, and then, like, turns a peasant into an aristocrat. And that aristocrat can go to a ball and fucking fuck the prince. And she's like, oh, I can only fuck the prince for a couple hours. Then I got to run away. And the thing that fucks with me is that the the shoe doesn't turn off magic. (laughs) That always fucks with me. Like, why is the magic selective? Because it's magic. And the other thing is that the magic does a lot of heavy lifting and... Because it's magic. Because it's magic, but also, like, it changes the prince's perspective on what he thinks of the peasants. In this movie in particular, it changes the goals of the female protagonist who's a peasant. The goal is not to become an aristocrat who marries a, a royal, or into royalty, but a peasant that becomes a small business, petite bourgeois, Mm -hmm. small business owner, who then gives up her aristocracy that she's rightly deserved in favor of traveling the world with her prince in the hopes of becoming a queen's... Basically a dressmaker dressmaker for for a a royal who spends all of her time... At fancy events all around yes. the world. Yes. Right. Um, and, um, and that to me seemed like the twist that they were going on. And I want to point out, we've talked about but coming, Just unquestioningly that yeah. that's great, that's, right? That's, that's great. That's, that's the fulfillment. Right. No, it, is, it is presented as uh, per se independence. Yes. There, no. there is a presentation that 
this is feminism. This is independence. Is oh, you're the feminism. just bourgeois. And I mean, honestly, you just describe bourgeois. Like, no, you you literally bourgeois. Like, the upwardly mobile peasant who... Uh, See, through, I thought small business was the petite bourgeois. The, right, but we're also in what is... I'm also trying to historically, materialistically place the era of this movie uh, where I would call this uh, actually just straight up bourgeois that you have a peasant who becomes upwardly mobile through her uh, degree of skills, education and essential liberation from the serfdom system is where I would call this bourgeois. No. And it's true. I'm just hyper focusing on the attention to which the petit bourgeois goal or fantasy. Right. More yeah, than the, the liberation bourgeois, is like, tied. bourgeois already implies that she had land owning and well, had no, some no, this is French Revolution level. This is the bourgeois class in the French Revolution were peasants who got rich. Well, and I'd argue the only way to look at this is from a modern lens, which is this is essentially arguing that her freedom and independence is guaranteed through this starting a small business. But the starting a small business is her at the behest of a specific benefactor who can only offer this because they live a life of leisure and, like, inconsequential... If you think about it, uh, all the Medici patrons were small business owners. Yeah, like, like, that's the thing. It's like... And they do sort of play up that it's her. She she loves designing clothes. It's not just that she, she wants independence. She loves she's designing the clothes. Songs as she's sewing. She loves sewing. And the idea that you would be artistically fulfilled in this position more it, than royalty. It's so funny. the The idea that she. Uh, you know, because they're like, oh, well, if you're a noble lady, you can't do any of these things. Which also, I think there was a lot of notes that were like, we um, have totally been watching The Crown and like Harry and Meghan. And like, it's very like, uh, yeah, I just felt like whoever this writer's room was, was yeah, just no, this, pulling in well, shit that ju- also, they just okay. saw. To, to also like relate it to that, this is a very Victorian era idea of Savile Row style the capitalist who has the royal patent in Mm -hmm. England. Like, the idea of my skills are so great, I have a royal person who has declared they will personally shop with me, and therefore my business is sound, which is a very specifically late Victorian idea. Mm-hmm. Which you, is why I think this is specific to Victorian right, era class I'm going division. to again say that it's horribly confused and it's not specific to anything. Uh, but the elements you're reading into it are valid because in its confusion, one of the schizophrenic multiple personalities it invented was the one that you're seeing. Yeah, that's fair. And there is also like this weird sexuality thing where there was a transaction and no sexuality was actually evoked. It was only implied. Also, during the Victorian era, women were also allowed to be dressmakers. 
But I just want to point that out. What, what's always funny about the Victorian era being emblematic uh, in the modern era of like old, stuck up, weird, repressed, whatever. Well, that's because sex didn't exist for 100 years. Yeah. 65 years. It was like a lot of the propriety stuff was like, like brief. There was a lot of like just the functionality of the life at the time of like most people were never fully nude when dressing and undressing. They took everything off in parts and washed parts of themselves, Uh, not with water, often just with muslin. Well, okay, I have a thing about this uh, one that is Foucauldian because he does a whole book about the Victorian era and the repression of sexuality or the repression theory of sexuality and his... What do they call the Victorian era in France? I'm asking as Jules to you. I think that they just call it the Victorian era. Le Victorian. (laughs) Well, I think Foucault pointed out that it was the invention of the master bedroom where... In prior to the that is such a Foucault thing. Yeah, it really (laughs) is is such a. Oh yeah, no, it was like when they invented closets. Really, that's when homophobia started. No, but but in realistic terms, pre-Victorian era, in like the 1700s, people did not have separate bedrooms. Children had access to sexuality. Was yeah, they just had sex in front of everyone. Right, and 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 not. You learn sexuality through your parents because you privacy is a modern not only privacy but private bedrooms the the access to sexuality yeah the modern concept of privacy is like incredibly like just now we just made it up and people act like we need to defend these long standing boundaries have always existed and then half of the old people being like what about my privacy or like I'm trying to do fucked up shit in secret (laughs) still (laughs) like so it's uh, but, but his repression theory is saying that like Victorian era was the invention of that privacy was the invention of sexuality as a scientific practice, but also as a thing that was segregated from yeah, knowledge. Yeah, no, before then, like, people in the 1700s were just writing to the post office, like, and- Dear Google, give me lit erotica, <laughs> Allison's descent into sex slavery. And the. <laughs> Sincerely, Lord Byron. <laughs> and, and the other aspect of this observation, which I think is very interesting in his trying to designate sexuality, is that there was an absence of sexuality from novels and literature and that sex was always through a note that was passed or a glance that was made at a party. Or a flower arrangement. In, in a, any of these like Austin, novels it was a transaction whereas previously sex was talked about pretty openly and then it was repressed for like a hundred years and now we live in the shadow of that repression well i think some of that's fair Uh, i think also a way to expand around it is like um out of the yeah clearly like out of that repression is also where a lot of our modern conceptions of like homophobia come from that is exactly where he's going because (laughs) like we don't have to go that far back in history to realize people's 
misconceptions of like gay and straight uh, were not so yeah, clear cut. And it's literally before 1920. Well, and that's his thesis well, I mean, for the yeah, like, history of sexuality is that we invented these sexualities to make these divisions. I, you and know, the Victorian I'm, era and the repression that came along with it came with scientifically designating people in these... Uh, uh, you don't need Foucault for that, but like he is very helpful because yeah. he talks specifically about it. But it's objectively true that the Victorian like scientific revolution of... We can assign a category to this. We can assign a category to that. And we literally can, did invent homosexuality. Yeah, it's, and we invented islands to put them on. Too. Right. Well, <laughs> it's what's interesting is that, like, because of that, it's hard for us as modern people to conceive of what exactly we're reading when we read a primary source from the past that touches on one of these areas because it's so difficult not to project what you've been conditioned to think. And also we tend to assume that people in the past were all much more conservative and we've only gotten like that things are very linear in and this in is, this that in this is way. One of the things that he he's very good at weaving a narrative. I wouldn't say historifying because historians hate him for cherry Historians hate him. No, they do. Like click they, here. <laughs> well I mean that's the same with Mark. Yeah. Cherry. But what the fuck is a historian? A like, nerd. Do, do you know what I a mean? Like, a nerd. historian yeah, but, in okay. the olden times was a guy who remembered the but, stories, but like, okay. and now it's somebody who the real, the real, is mad other people tell cooler ones. The real thing that the postmodernists do that I appreciate as a Marxist... No, the real thing that, like, I like about, like, Foucault and Lyotard and whatever is, like, Marx uses the word science and all, and they, like, point out what science is. Yeah, and, especially and Lyotard. Well, no, but, like, but Foucault, Foucault too. too. Foucault, too. I know it's, like, mostly Lyotard, but Foucault, too, where it's just, like, yeah, this was, like... It was a branding exercise. Yeah, it was a series of categorizations we made. And, like, we literally, like, in the middle of it, we invented gay people. Like, it was just (laughs) a thing we fucking did. We got, like, really drunk one night, and we invented gay people. And then we invented, like, what the atom was. Yeah. And it was literally the same fucking process. And, like, and, and not he, only that, but like the universe. We well, it's also the where, universe. It's also and, and where Marx, and Marx died before all this shit yeah. happened. And this is where I value Leotard. This is where I, as a Marxist, I value Foucault. No, Leotard is fucking awesome. And Bunny's shaking her head like, what's going on here? No, I just, I don't want you to knock my TV off. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting extremely Italian right now. Yeah. <laughs> Leotard. Leotard. Um, yeah, but anyway, no, this is where I value these people where they're like, yeah, basically, okay, and this is also where I'll say read that fucking dialectics book. Because, put your mouth closer to the fucking... Okay, or move, this is or also you can move where I will say, Stephen... 
No, because if I touch it with my hands, then it gets a bunch of interference. So I've already, like, I've been trying to just, like, I've been leaning forward this whole time. My spine is, like, cracking under the weight of all the body fat on me. But anyway, <laughs> no, this is... You could make choices to make it easier on yourself. Yes, <laughs> I know. And that would involve cutting out carbs and, like, that's, that's what annoying I meant. as fuck. No, Lord. I, I think... She was talking about getting a more stable chair. Or just, or we could have positioned, you know, whatever. You know what? Uh, Whatever. Bentley's saying on Oh my gosh. Okay, we are. uh, We can make a premium episode about Bunny saying that Marla's a fat piece of shit. I would, first of all. Saying that I would never I like myself as I am. Thank look, you very much. Marlo I would never do such a thing. Positivity. Yes, in fact, I am. in Which fact, is why he should do naked calendar spreads. Like yeah, style. sure. I'll Stavros out this shit. I'll be more Greek than Bunny. Uh, all because she said I was too fat to be Greek. Oh my God. <laughs> see, but I'll I, show you. See, okay. I have a theory that Marlo is all of come town in one person. He's both fat, uh, <laughs> autistic, and and Jewish. Oh my God! Right. Anyway, <laughs> point is, as a fat person, I can speak. I'm, about I'm trying the to Greek see. Experience. I'm like, what's the what's your teeth situation look like? <laughs> anyway, as a fat he got person, it fixed. I he got can it fixed. speak about yeah, the Greek experience in, uh, in America. Um, He's got hair. You certainly could be mistaken for a Greek, uh, especially at your current hair length. Oh, thank you, every Hasidic person ever who calls me Jewish. Because no, no, this hair length is just—it's just something. They go, yeah, you're something. I'm ethnic. I'm yeah. ethnic as fuck. They're yeah. like, it's too curly to be anything other well, than something I You know what? I, I would love it if Marlo, like, accidentally discovered a hair product that, like, because these slicked are some really up. pretty, this is a really pretty curl pattern, like listeners. It, I want to say. Like, if he slicks it, it up? No, oh, no. If he, if he, like, if he, like, before. lets it, he, like, uh, Whereas lets it define you are changing your hairstyle every week. Yeah. Well, it's, it was my, uh. I've used product. thing I did this year. Uh, what do you no, think? I, have a, I have a friend who I'm also who's never used product. No, I don't mean that. I just mean that, like, um, because with a certain level of curl, you can really, but it takes a lot of finesse. I, to I mean, make I'm it saying like, literally you should, you had should a glorious halo. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. with you. I'm saying like you put curl encouraging products that make it more. Yeah. Uh, voluminous. You look like a Brazilian okay, well, I Instagram have literally model. had dreadlocks for 10 years. That's not the same This is thing. not something we want no. people to know. No. <laughs> I also had dreadlocks. It's, it's, uh... You had dirty hair. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just want to go on record of saying that I did not have, have white dreadlocks. Uh, um, I did have... Cornrows, but there's no photos I of me. I want to point so. <laughs> out that I got told that I don't look like somebody with lactose intolerance. Uh, for oh, because very, people very think it's um, yeah, because people think it's very simply being gay. No, they think if you're white that no, you can't. This, they this, think if you're white, like you look Nordic or like something like this, it that was you very can. Very sciency, and it was by an Israeli, which yeah. I think yeah. meant that I don't look Jewish, <laughs> which yeah. is. The, 
And it was yeah. by my by my next door neighbor who was like, yeah, uh, you don't look like you need some fake cheese on that pizza. And I'm like, I do, though, because I feel awful for like 48 hours if you do put cheese on it. And he's like, you don't look like it. Uh, you look like a Viking and or a Celtic god, and I'm like, all right, let's unpack. You look this. like someone who's how, done the Holocaust rather <laughs> than I've, had the Holocaust done to how you. How I raped the entire Irish well, island. Well, uh, uh, lactose intolerance in particular, uh, all mammals naturally uh, do should lose their ability to process lactase after they are weaned. Some human populations just evolved, this is the theory, just evolved a genetic uh, propensity for processing it later because they were in cultures that used a lot more milk products for sustenance, right? There are other, so if you come from, you know, a culture that historically did not make use of a lot of specifically cow milk products because uh, lactase is not necessarily as much of an issue in sheep or goat's milk. You know, it, it's like... Uh, it's, right, point people is, make it like it's very clear. Uh, it went from being like white people assuming everyone could digest milk and you're a freak if you can't to now like acting like it's this secret racial coda. Anyway, point is, normal people can eat cheese, and well, Steve lactose is one intolerance of the other uh, typically does not necessarily include cheese or yogurt because those do not have high levels of lactase. Um, so right, you well, might let's feed Steve cheese and see if he yeah, gets no, diarrhea. That makes That's, me sick. But it, and it's it not could diarrhea. be something else. It's but I'm saying like typically a hard cheese does not have a high level of lactase in it. So it wouldn't it wouldn't activate your lactose intolerance, but you could have. Uh, it also it's got other shit in it, and yeah, no, that makes weak people suffer. Marlo with his chauvinistic. Marlo, who's never eaten Marlo a meat. Marlo, who's never. Uh, yeah, Marlo, who Mar- is. Look, no, this we're is, talking about who's tough over here. Yeah, no, it's this is me. actually the Marlo, the come town scavenger of, of the uh, of all things. No, this is this has always been my life mission is to uh, showcase the inherent uh, absurdity of masculinity by calling, calling other other people weak, while myself never having eaten a single hamburger. You that's know, been my raisin, that's his righteous raisin journey. <laughs> which is as a Marxist dialectics. Yes. Which, and which I, I want it, to negate myself to build Marxism. Because I as, am the Jesus of Marxism. As I learned yeah. from Jameson uh, and Leotard, Marxism is... Leotard. Reco- <laughs> <laughs> Jean-Francois Retard. <laughs> In that Marx believes that capitalism is the greatest thing to ever happen upon this earth, but also the most destructive and horrible thing. And we have to keep those two things in check at the same time, which is that it is the greatest thing because it produces so many good things, but it is so destructive to the working class at the same time. We need to recognize and keep those two in our brains at all times when we're analyzing things through a Marxist perspective, which means cheese is both the greatest thing (laughs) 
and the worst thing to ever happen to my digestive yeah, system. Yeah, cheese also has casein you, in you, it, which is literally addictive. Did you like that? Did you like that joke? Did you like I the did. joke? And I did like that. <laughs> I did like it. Um, I did like it. Cheese is mostly casein. I got Bunny to laugh, so that's... Cheese is a lot of casein. So Cinderella... I would suggest that everyone should watch it. It's the greatest movie. Speaking about proletarian oppressions, since um, <laughs> since Sorry to Bother You, oh really, my that gosh. can't be true. Sorry to Bother You is a masterpiece. Uh, I can also we talk want about Sorry to Bother No, you? no we we're, can't. We're, we're, we're too long. Uh, this is our we also six wa- hour episode. Yeah, we also. I'm sad I didn't get to shoehorn in uh, more about multi-level marketing because I also recently watched that doc. Talk about the Vouch debate because, like, Marla did research this one. You might think come back to this. You might think of Marla as the person who's like Hurricane. What? You might think of Marla. Yeah, like the autistic Sherlock Holmes who doesn't know that the Earth is third in line with the sun. Right, because... Because why would Sherlock Holmes ever know that information? Because When does that affect my life? (laughs) And number two... And I would be like, well, I know it because uh, John Lithgow was on a show called Third Rock from the Sun. And why? We're starting starting the uh, premium episode. Tell me more (laughs) about... (laughs) John Lithgow. Uh, More about John Lithgow and Vouch debate. Uh, I got nothing to tell because the episode's <laughs> No, we're restarting the next episode right now. Oh, my God. You should pay me more. <laughs> okay. Look, I'm, I'm pressing. Is at You're least pressing gonna, the off button. Yeah, we're doing that. seeming without end The days go on But I'll remember you, my friend And though you're gone In my heart's been emptied, it seems I'll see you in my dreams I got your guitar Here by my bed All your favorite records And all the books that you read And though my soul Feels like it's been split at the seams I'll see See you.